All content published by Your Brain on Science is solely the opinions of the authors and does not reflect the opinions of any parties affiliated with them or any additional third parties. Welcome to this week's episode on Your Brain on Science. Today, we have a very special guest here for you, a PhD candidate from the University of Freiburg, Jason Day. Uh, he's going to be talking to us about his thesis work, which explores the idea of expansion of consciousness during a psychedelic experience. And he theorizes that this can actually be attributed to intense transformations in attention. Um, so I'll let him tell us all the good stuff because I for sure cannot do this justice. So I'll stop right here. Um, but Jason, welcome to the podcast. So, so exciting to have you here. Um, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself to us a little bit of what you do, where you are, and what your interests are in terms of psychedelics. Yeah, great. Thank you very much for the introduction and for having me here. I just want to say it's, uh, I think it's fantastic what you're doing here, getting psychedelic research out there on the air. Um, yes, uh, so I'm doing my PhD in philosophy over in Freiburg. And uh, yeah, uh, what I'm doing is I am studying psychedelic experiences and specifically, I'm interested in how people describe those experiences. And I'm trying to find out if it is indeed the case that people have similar kinds of experiences when they take one of the classic psychedelics. Um, and I am studying, as I've been studying this, I have specifically noticed that one of the most common threads in how people describe their experiences is a constant use of descriptions in their descriptions of uh, attentional vocabulary, mm. describing big changes in attention, uh, awareness, um, a very uh, common use, and I mean, it's quite a catchphrase, uh, expansion of consciousness, and I've been trying to make sense of what that can possibly mean. Um, and I mean, we everyone has a sort of general sense that people have similar kinds of experiences when yeah. they take psychedelics but there's been hardly any rigorous research about what those similarities might mean and how they fit together. And uh, working in the field of philosophy that I do phenomenology, in which we are concerned with very rigorous study of firsthand experience, um, that's precisely what I'm trying to figure out. Um, so I uh, comb through hundreds of trip reports and I try and find <laughs> the similarities and but let them together and make sense of them as best I can. So that's what I'm up to. Very yeah. cool. So that sounds like a lot of fun. I feel like sitting there and reading all these anecdotes would be a trip on its own. <laughs> Indeed, yeah. Um, I So I'm actually a TA for a class. Uh, it's the neuroscience of psychedelics. And we were talking about the MEQ the other day. So in clinical trials, right, there is very few ways to fully characterize your psychedelic experience. And I think you know, the MEQ is a powerful tool, but there's so many aspects of your experience that I think we're missing out on. And it's it's so, so important to be able to characterize someone's individual experience for sort of long-term maintenance of whatever benefit that they mm -hmm. might have, or, you know, just for understanding what your consciousness is like under psychedelics. And I think a lot of people use the argument that uh, it's all very subjective, right? Like it's all very subjective. You can't tease it apart because it's what people bring into the experience is what they know. It's, it's what they're bringing with them. Yes. And, and no, right. Like, I think of course everyone, it, it's very context dependent. And I know that you address that too. So we'll talk about that. 
Um, but it's, you know, there needs to be a way to sort of standardize, standardize this, or, or I think talk about it and, and understand this experience, because it might be that everyone's having the same type of experience, or it might be that they're not, but we have no idea, right? Like, because no one has taken the time to sort of figure this stuff out. So I think the work that you're doing, mm. very topical, very, very exciting. Um, and I actually had the chance to read your paper. Uh, so everyone that's listening, right. it's titled uh, Psychedelic Expansion of Consciousness, a Phenomenological Study in Terms of Attention. This is going to be up on the blog and everyone has to go and read it because I have to say, uh, so, so, so well-written. One of the biggest things for us is uh, making work, you know, theory, science, whatever it may be accessible to people that might not fully understand everything, right? And I definitely do not come from uh, a philosophical, phenomenological perspective. Um, so some of the things here were, were new to me, but very, very intriguing and I think very well-written. So I'd like to first congratulate you on that paper. Thank you. Um, yeah, so let's let's talk a little bit about the work that you do and, and stuff that you yeah. talked about in that paper. Um, so we're going to talk about the expansion of consciousness, right? And I know that you've mentioned in the past that that's kind of a, a big phrase. <laughs> um, I think it's super cool. I love yeah. it. Um, so we talk about the expansion of conscience, consciousness under psychedelics, but to, in order to understand that, I think we need to first classify the conscious experience, right? So you do that in your paper for us, and you are able to break it down into sort of three big components, world expansion, bodily expansion, and the expansion of subjectivity. So um, if you could tell us a little bit about that, that would be really, really great to start. Yeah. So the way that I've broken it up um, in the paper is not to say that experience can be divided in that way. Right. It's that's just a, uh, a way to break up um, people's descriptions. Uh, people might describe that their ex, uh, experience of the world is expanded in the sense that the things that they experience as being part of the world is expanded. They might say that everything, quote unquote, out there in the world, they experience with having a heightened degree of complexity and detail and all the, the, the small little details or mundane, mundane details that are usually in the background mm -hmm. um, that they usually don't notice or appreciate suddenly pop to the foreground um, or are present in a, in a strange way almost all at once. And they feel like they, they pay attention to everything to a far greater degree. And in that way, the world feels so much larger and expansive to them. I've classed those descriptions in that way. Mm -hmm. And then there can also be a sense of, uh, I, I've classed descriptions in, in terms of bodily expansion in the sense that uh, people might describe their bodies appearing to them with a far higher degree of um, complexity and detail. Um, they might notice uh, the, the amazing amount of detail, sort of the pores of their skin or the shifting veins turning into patterns and things like that. Um, and in terms of their subjectivity as well, in the third category of descriptions, they might have this uh, a deep rush or variety of emotions that are quite uh, unusual or memories they didn't even know they had. Um, they might also have an expanded sense of subjectivity or in the sense that they might find that they are experiencing versions of themselves that they didn't know they could be. Um, they also might find themselves merging with the world and in that sense being a version of themselves they didn't know that they could be. Or of course, they might dissolve and in that sense, uh, expand into the world. Um, so I've classed their descriptions in that way. Um, yes, but of course, the interesting thing about psychedelic experiences 
is that the way in which we usually divide experience in our descriptions sort of dissolves quite dramatically, um, which is quite intriguing. Yeah. But yeah. Very cool. So there's a lot of interesting things that you mentioned in there. So, you know, a lot of the times I hear, I hear people say, you know, I did psychedelics and I felt like I tuned in, right? Like I was tuned uh-huh. into the world. And yes. I think what you're saying jives so well with that, right? Like that you become aware of everything around you and more acutely or aware of things that you hadn't been aware of before or you were attending to before. Um, so of course this, you know, centers your theory and, and your sort of definition center a lot on attention. So let's talk a little bit about attention. Um, mm-hmm. So as a neuroscientist, you know, I learn a lot about the neural circuitry of attention, you know, the, the ventral and the dorsal attentional streams and the brain areas that are involved and blah, blah, blah. Um, it's a highly integrated process, right? And there are also some models of attention, such as the spotlight model of attention, which I learned quite a bit in school. And in your paper, you actually also talk about uh, the filter and valve model, right? So maybe you can talk to us a little bit about what attention uh, sort of like is, what you think these models are lacking, um, and how you couch attention in the context of psychedelic experience. You've told us a little bit about it, but I think let's talk a little bit more on the nose about attention here and and what you uh, sort of think. Of course. Yes. Okay. So this is where things perhaps get a bit controversial. Um, (laughs) So um, my concept of attention deviates somewhat drastically from the common concepts of attention. Um, We have notions, as you mentioned, of um, the filter and and a valve. And there's also a common notion of attention in philosophy, um, which is the notion of attention as an activity, that it's something that we do. So Mm -hmm. for instance, I attend to this or that. That's something that I I perform as an activity. Um, And filtering can also be conceived of of an activity, but more of not a sort of conscious activity, right? It's a a filtering process in the brain that you don't consciously perform. Uh, The spotlight uh, concept of attention is also a kind of activity model, right? If you think of a spotlight being shone to this or that, that's something that you do. You aim the spotlight here or there. Um, now the reason that I, um, am quite critical of these models of attention, and I don't think that they can help us to understand what people are trying to describe when they're telling us about, uh, their psychedelic experiences, or it's not going to help us conceptualize what psychedelic experiences are mm-hmm. is because they depend on a certain very basic notion of experience that is quite faulty. And that depends on the idea that on the one hand, you have the subject experiencing the world. And on the other hand, you have this world that is uh, a world of independent information or sensory data that is being received by the subject. Um, But you as the subject and every subject, everyone who is having an experience, psychedelic or not, never experiences such a world of pure information or sensory data that is being filtered or spotlighted. It's a matter of pure speculation. Mm-hmm. Um, so on that, on that basis alone, you can't posit such, such a world. And um, 
that is a necessary premise for the photo or the spotlight model. Um, on the other hand, if you conceive of uh, a world of information or sensory data, it also can't help you make sense of how it's the case that our experience has structure, right? Yeah. Because when we have inexperience, everything that we experience is not, so to speak, prominent to the same degree, right? If we want to use attention languages, language, some things are in the foreground to more or less an extent, and some things are more in the background, right? So you attend to some things more and some things not. Um, but the filter on the spotlight uh, model can't capture the really the diversity of how our experience is structured. It's really more of an on-off kind of model. Right. And the filter, like the information either comes in or it doesn't. And then the spotlight, it's either illuminated or it doesn't. So these models are really, to put it bluntly, so basic that they also can't capture the complex structure of experience. Um, so on these two points, I don't think that they can help us at all with making sense of psychedelic experiences and how people describe them. Yeah, very interesting. Um, so it lacks yeah. you know, the the nuance, I think, of yes. of what the human experience. I think I think even generally the human experience is right. Like if we're talking about attention in the purely neuroscience, I think we're not just the circuitry that you know that makes up the brains. You know, we are a, this integrated whole. And I think you're you're hundred percent right that it it lacks a lot of that that nuance. You know. Yes, uh, exactly. And then <laughs> the next controversial point. Uh, as I'm developing, this is not in, in the article, but I'm developing my thesis in my mm. thesis is that I don't think there is any such thing as attention. Mm, um, okay. Explain. Yeah. <laughs> Controversial take. <laughs> any such thing, if we think of attention as being something as an activity process or state, I think that what attention and, uh, and its associated vocabulary like uh, concentration, focus, distraction, interest, salience, so on and so forth, mm -hmm. what attention and uh, attentional language and all that vocabulary is, is a language that we have developed to describe the structure of our experience and how it changes. So it's a language, but it's nothing except that language. Um, okay. so it's not something else. It's not an activity. It's not a filter. It's not a process. It's not a state. It's simply yeah. the way that we use words to describe the experience you think. Yes. And how specifically it's a language we've developed to describe the structure of our experience. So how phenomena and by phenomena, I mean, whatever appears in your experience, um, a thought an object, a perceptual object, an itch in your leg, doesn't matter, um, how those things are related in terms of what is more or less prominent in the foreground, background, um, and how those things change in, in relation to one another, how one thing becomes more interesting or less interesting, or the thing that is the focus or becomes the distraction. We've developed this language to describe all of that. And then in my research in psychedelic experiences, I'm studying how people are using this attentional language to describe the highly strange changes that happen when they take psychedelics. 
I see. Okay. So if that makes sense. It it does. I think this is this is very interesting. So, you know, in your work, you mentioned that um the individual's subjective experience is going to be highly dependent on sort of what they start attending to or the fact that now they're attending to a lot of things. So if you say that there is no such thing as attention, right? This is simply the language that we're using. Do you think uh, when individuals are having a psychedelic experience, they're able to, uh, I don't know, access uh, I don't, language about their experience that they didn't have before or understand things about uh, their their conscious experience that they didn't before? Because I think, you know, like some attention might be a more fluid fluid thing than, you know, than a clear, than a clear process that we've been sort of describing it as. So, so yeah, like you're, you're, you're talking more about the things that are coming up for you and, and sort of whatnot. But um, I think what an interesting concept. So how do you, how do you reconcile your, what you just said, right? The language aspect with the actual, what you had been talking about, like your, you feel like your consciousness is expanded, um, because ah, now yes. you're you're paying attention to other things. So how do you pay attention to other things if attention doesn't exist? Yes. So the point uh, I'm trying to make is that, and what I'm finding is that people's experience does change mm -hmm. in very similar ways when they take psychedelics. Right. And they using and people are using attentional language in very similar ways to describe those changes. Okay, I see. But there's no such thing as attention. But there's no such thing as attention. Okay. People yeah. have similar changes in their experience. If I can give you an example, is people very commonly describe that the things that they usually don't appreciate or notice suddenly become radically foregrounded. Mm -hmm. um, they commonly describe that. And they use a language of attention to describe that. They say the things I usually don't notice I suddenly become, in, I suddenly pay a, intense attention to, or I become deeply absorbed in. So they describe in a common change in their experience and they're using common attentional language to describe it. Right. Um, and this also has, it, it's, uh, I think has a lot of big impact for this understanding why things like quote unquote ego dissolution which is a, another trendy word, right? Yeah. <laughs> that uh, we also don't understand a lot about why does that happen and what do people mean by it? We also don't understand a lot about what people mean by that as little as we understand what about uh, what people mean when they say expansion of consciousness. Yeah. But what I'm finding is that when people say um, my, I had ego dissolution, when they mean it in the sense that they started losing some consciousness of themselves, it usually follows from a description of becoming so deeply absorbed or so deeply or intensely concentrated on a minute detail, like uh, the veins of a leaf or the cracks on a wall, the more, deep, more deeply focused or absorbed they became in uh, these cracks on the wall, then this slow forgetting of themselves takes place. And that also occurs with losing a sense of time and losing a sense of space and, and this disembodiment happens and this become, can become more and more intense until this ego dissolution thing starts occurring. So I think also looking at 
the way people describe their changes of experience in terms of attention can help us understand what people mean by ego dissolution. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's, I, I'm thinking I'm starting to understand a little bit sort of what you mean by that. I think very, very interesting. Um, so we've been talking a lot about, you know, the psychedelic experience now in, in sort of our conversation. Um, and in your phenomenological analysis of this experience, you also point out that there's, um, again, sort of like three big components, right? And let me know if I'm understanding this correctly, uh, sort of the theme, the context, and the margin. And I mm -hmm. really, really like the way that you break it down because in everything that we can talk about and, and all of sort of the the examples we, we have talked about and we can talk about, um, we can talk about the theme, the context, and the margin. Like everything can sort of be couched, I think, in, in terms of all this stuff. And I know that there's... Um, a bunch of different components to even these three components. But if you can tell us a little bit about uh, your phenomenological analysis of psychedelic experience in the context of these three, I, that would be really awesome. Okay, sure. So I, I think I've mentioned something about experience always having some kind of structure. So yeah. the theme, context, and margin is just a very general way of describing the structure of any experience. So what the theme describes is whatever's most prominent in your experience. You could also call it the focus of your attention. The context is whatever your experience that is um, secondarily most prominent because it's relevant to whatever's the focus of your attention. Mm -hmm. And the margin is whatever you're dimly aware of and that's irrelevant to uh, the focus of your attention. So for instance, now we're busy having a conversation the theme will be if you're if you're listening if if I if I'm not boring the listeners the theme <laughs> the focus of your attention will be my voice, and the context, uh, whatever is secondarily most prominent in your experience will be all your thoughts about whatever I'm saying, um, your thoughts about psychedelic experiences, perhaps some memories of some psychedelic experiences you might have had, mm. and. Whatever you're dimly aware of, whatever's described as being in the margin, will be perhaps the feeling of the seat against your back, um, maybe the sound of cars in the background, and so forth. So that just describes uh, the most basic and general structure of every experience. Wow. Now, this is also a way we can describe psychedelic experiences. And what happens with psychedelic experiences is that your usual structure of experience starts very radically changing. So the things that are usually not themes are very dramatically themes. The things that are usually not in the margins are uh, the things that, and they are also very rapid changes. And the things that are in the themes and the margins start merging and all sorts of strange changes start happening. Um, so it's just a good model for describing the changes. In the, in the structure of experience. Yeah. Very cool. Um, so you mentioned memories and feelings, right? So this is, I think the way that you set this up, this provides a really good basis to, first of all, you know, standardize and, and talk about psychedelic experience across participants and your memories and feelings would fall under sort of the context, right? Like that, if, if you're bringing that stuff with you to this experience, that's going to be part of the context sort of component of, of what you described. Um, yes. I think super, super cool and super interesting. Um, and then 
in all of this, again, I'm going to sort of take us back to this attentional transformation in the structure of your experience. Um, and yeah. you know what? I'll start saying uh, transformation in the language and your attentional language in the structure of your experience, right? Because that's sort of what you argue. Um, so you mentioned that there's a few different types of expansion that we experience. So interdimensional expansion, intradimensional expansion, intrathematic mm -hmm. expansion, there's shifting of the margin. Mm -hmm. So there's a bunch of things happening here, right? So maybe mm -hmm. you could sort of touch on maybe what you think is the most important or tie them all together or talk to us a little bit about that. <laughs> okay, yes. These are all ways in which we can try and make sense of the most similar ways in which people's experience changes when they take psychedelics, mm -hmm. regardless of the specific things that are in their experience. Um, so of the different types that you mentioned, for instance, one kind, uh, when I speak about interdimensional expansion, mm -hmm. I, I'm speaking about the different ways in which uh, people describe an expansion of their consciousness first in terms of the, the thematic field. So that's when people say that the, they become uh, the things that they usually don't notice or don't appreciate, all that which is always in their everyday experience, but in the margins, suddenly, uh, or, or is usually just in the context, suddenly, um, becomes more foregrounded. Um, so they might say things like um, the all the cracks in the wall or the detail, the, the or the, the the leaves of the plants or on the tree suddenly appeared with the same amount of detail or complexity. Um, everything just popped out all at once. Um, they noted noticed all the folds in their trousers all these sorts of things. Um, yeah, so in that sense, uh, or it could also be um, they see uh, the veins in their hands. Uh, you know, the classic moment of someone looking at their hands and going, oh my like, God, Whoa, yeah. what's this? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, but your hand is always there, right? You just don't take much oh. time to look at it. <laughs> um, right. Um Interesting. And then, so, but what also occurs is that when the things that are always present in your experience, but are not so foregrounded, then these things also appear quite strange because now you're taking the time to look at them, right? Mm. So, I mean, we all have this experience. Uh, if, if you just stand in front of the mirror and you look at yourself for more than five minutes, your face will start to look strange. <laughs> so this is what happens when... Um, you know, this kind of change, this expansion happens on psychedelic experience. Um, these things in the world, your own body and your own feelings, um, your own emotions, your own memories, everything that's always present, um, when all these sort of things shift closer to being thematic, to being more the focus of your attention, so to speak, mm -hmm. and they are now present with more detail and complexity, they can appear with a whole new kind of beauty or a whole new kind of strangeness or absurdity and then people do indeed describe them they can even seem otherworldly or unreal um, so there can be that effect of the expansion of consciousness as well um, 
And then I also do indeed speak about intrathematic expansion. Mm -hmm. This is a very interesting kind. Um, that's what happens when there's what I call a contraction of, uh, of consciousness. Mm -hmm. It's a type of attentional transformation that you, is, you might say, the opposite of expansion. Um, that's when you, people become so deeply focused on some minute detail. Um, what's a good example? Like um, the petal of a flower. Yeah, they might become deeply focusing. focused on that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> when they really get sucked into it for what seems like an eternity. And then when they get, they get so sucked into it that they sort of, the rest of the universe disappears. But then that petal starts appearing with more detail and complexity. And then that petal starts expanding into its whole own universe. Mm. Um, and then people start describing um, the sort of, people sometimes describe it as a fractal zoom, how there's one tiny detail that they started focusing and becoming deeply absorbed in starts expanding into a whole new world again. Yeah. Um, and that's what I mean by intrathematic. Um, so I have a question for you. So Jason, yes. do people have, like, I haven't been asking you questions this whole time. Do you think that people have similar types of experiences when they take psychedelics, right? So that's the question that I think you're mm. trying to figure out, but do you have an answer? What do you think so far based on your work and, and reading through all of these anecdotes and, and your theory? That's indeed, it's, it's, it's been a very difficult question to answer. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think that people have very similar, they are very similar ways in which people's experience changes from the usual mm -hmm. um, to a certain point. And this is highly dependent on dosage, I would say. Ah, okay. Um, yes. So I think that we can do a, a lot of work, really a lot of work on describing of the very general way in which people's experiences are similar. Uh, specifically, if we try and describe not the way in which psychedelic experiences are structured in the same way, because then I think we don't make any progress because yeah. a psychedelic experience isn't a set thing. Yeah. We can make progress on understanding the similar ways in which experience changes for everyone. Um, but when there, there are certain, especially at higher doses, although it's not necessarily the case, they, they, things get pretty strange. <laughs> um, and we go a little bit beyond description there, Fair. in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. But I think we can do a lot of work up until that point, and we should do that work. Absolutely. Yeah, going back to sort of what we talked about in the beginning, I think, so important, right? That's, I think, the next step. Um, and so we're talking a little bit about clinical work and a little bit about sort of yeah. organized psychedelic experiences. Uh, so there's a lot of techniques, as you know, now that we use to try and pin down components of the experience and maybe this, you know, not the subjective experience and, and what people mm -hmm. are actually going through. Um, but a lot of papers, you know, point to certain patterns of neural activity, um, yeah. specifically plasticity. That's literally the work that I do. And I do understand that that's one component of the whole, right? So you suggest that sort of attentional language and attention plays a role in in 
the experience and sort of the outcomes from that experience, because there is evidence, you know, that um, the intensity of your experience and whatever that may mean, right? Like that is not clearly quantified across the board at all. I think people just use the MEQ, but it's usually that the more intense the experience that you have, um, the more clear outcomes you have in terms of therapeutic benefit, right? Like more, the more intense the experience, mm-hmm. usually people have more um, therapeutic benefit from it. So obviously we need to be able to sort of understand this experience. Um, and again, you suggest that attention plays a role in all of this. Do you think that um, using neural activity and things, you know, like very, very basic clinical research and um, is is a good sort of indicator of what's what's coming next do you think that maybe the subjective experience uh is way more important than we're thinking that it is I mean and I suspect I know the answer (laughs) but I want to hear what you have to say well it really depends what you want to do I mean if you're trying to understand how psychedelics affect the brain then you should be concerned with neural activity if you're concerned with understanding the nature of psychedelic experiences, my position is that neural activity is not a helpful mode of study. Um, and if it is the case that research indicates that it is the, the nature of the experience that has uh, is um, central to therapeutic outcome, then we need to understand a lot more about the nature of the experience. And the problem, and you've already hinted at here, is that when subjects describe that it had something to do with the intensity of the experience concerning improvements in their well-being after the ther- therapy session, well, what does intensity mean? Yeah. Um, so that means we have to do a whole lot of study concerning what is being described here. Um, and I cannot conceive of how neuro st- study of neural activity can help us with uh, what it means for an experience to be intense. Yeah. I think it to me, it's always very interesting. And you'll hear in like episodes with me and Alina, when we go over Mm -hmm. papers, like we will talk about all these amazing results and, oh, if it's a, if it's an imaging paper that this is what they found. And then, you know, it'll be a one-off comment. Like, yeah, these experience, these people experienced X, Y, and Z and people that had really intense experiences experienced X, Y, and Z. Right. And we kind of just like, that's like the one sentence that we say about it, but um, yeah. <laughs> I think it's, it's way more important than, um, we're thinking that it is now, you know? Um, so very happy that you're doing your work. I have another question for you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Do you think that we can use sort of your theory or this viewpoint on the expansion of consciousness and apply it equally across all domains of psychedelic use, right? Like we're talking a little bit clinical and you've been reading, um, a quite a few reports that are probably also just purely recreational, right? And, and people just engaging mm-hmm. in sort of uh, psychedelic use. Um, now, obviously, attention is also highly contextual. Do you think that the way that you're viewing all of this uh, can, applies equally across the board, right? Like the way that you have have these components set up of, of the experience and, and the phenomenology of the psychedelic experience. Do you think even with the subjectivity of, of individuals, we can apply these ideas across the board? And how hard do you think it'll be to do that? Yes, well, I I am trying to determine the most general um, kinds of changes to experience that psychedelics catalyze, so to speak. Yeah. Um, And those, if if they they are such changes, as I I do think they are, those 
should be independent of the setting in which they occur. Um, so I do think they are applicable across as it, uh, it being irrelevant whether it occurs in a recreational or a clinical setting. Um, there will be changes for sure as to which of the changes occur to what degree, um, which are more or less prominent. Um, for instance, of course, it's common practice in clinical settings um, to use headphones, blindfolds, and to be indoors, right? So there you're going to notice a, a far greater incidence of, um, let's say, a prominence of, um, of what you might class as uh, experiences being having a prominence of, of, of phenomena we might call memories and feelings, uh, rather than if someone was recreationally using it in a forest, right? And mm -hmm. sort of being down in the dirt and, and, and being out in nature, right? So these do have an effect, these settings, but I'm trying to determine the most general kinds of changes and those changes, uh, um, it doesn't matter what the phenomena has, happens to be that the changes in reference to, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally does. Um, yeah, so I, I think it's applicable generally. Yeah. Very cool. So this has been, I think, one of the more interesting conversations that I have had, and you have certainly expanded my consciousness. <laughs> I love that <laughs> phrase. I think it's so fun to say. It's great to talk. <laughs> <laughs> um, so do you have any, any things that you wanted to bring up to our listeners or anything that you want to talk about um, yourself? I think maybe a question sometimes people ask me very often, and now I'm bringing up the question myself, which is amusing. Good. Uh, sometimes <laughs> people ask me why I'm doing all this research. Yeah. Um, and I'm asking myself, well, my, my general motivation is we currently live in a world in which people find it very difficult to talk about psychedelic experiences, or not simply in a, a research sense, but in a political sense. Um, there's a lot of um, misinformation and a lot of that misinformation has to do with the experiences being so difficult to describe and people struggling to communicate about it. Um, so I think what I'm trying to do is I conceive of myself as a collector of stories in some sense, reading through all the trip reports yeah. Um, and yeah, trying to write a very easy to understand as general story as possible so that people can talk about it more easily. I think that's what I'm, I'm trying to do. So I hope if people happen to read my research that the story is a little easier to understand. Yeah. Very cool. A collector of stories. I do really like that. And our listeners are definitely going to go and read your paper. Um, and I can't wait uh, to read your thesis when you're done with it, you know, and I'm going to be oh, the last great. person to be like, oh, like, when's your thesis out? Right. Like, that's the worst question. that you can <laughs> ask. <laughs> but whatever yeah. it is, give us a shout and we'd love to talk some more about it and have you back on because um, I think what an interesting perspective that you have, right? And it's so, um, I think, important and something that is not being spoken about as much as it should be. So I'm really hoping um, that you find success in, in your career in grad school and moving forward because this is really, really important work. And I can't wait to see you do more and um, for this field to, you know, take this into account like I think we should. So 
with that, I'd like to say thank you so much for being on your brain on science. Um, we, I think had a great conversation and if there's anything else that, um, you'd like to share with our listeners or share, um, in general, um, please feel free to sort of send it to me and we'll, we'll put it on the blog Mm. post and everything, but yeah, I say fantastic. Thanks so much for having me. It's a great opportunity to talk with you. Enjoy the lot. Absolutely. So thank you everyone for listening. Um, As always, please subscribe, uh, engage with us, tell us what you thought about this, uh, about this conversation. um, And we'll talk to you next time. Bye everyone.